Welcome to The Rock Podcast. Here in the sixth and final chapter of 1 Timothy, Paul exhorts Christian employees to work hard and respect their bosses for the sake of their witness. He also warns the rest of the congregation to guard their hearts from the heresy of false teaching, especially when it came to greed. Let's join Pastor Ross now with a study entitled Jobs and Money. Alrighty, let's get started. Welcome you back to your seats. Grab your Bibles. Turn with me to chapter 6 of 1 Timothy. It's the last chapter of Paul's first letter to Timothy. Chapter 6, we pick up where we left off at verse 1. But first we're going to ask the Lord's blessing as we always do. Now, Heavenly Father, we just want to pause and acknowledge that we have before us the living Word of God does not have its origin in any man, but holy men of God were moved and carried along by the Holy Spirit, and this is a God-breathed, supernatural message to our hearts from the heart of God. So help us to receive it as it is, so that it can do its wonderful, transforming work. In Christ's name, amen came across an interesting article online, Forbes magazine, in the leadership section. I read a couple paragraphs to you. If you don't like your job, you're not alone. (laughs) Gallup has recently been measuring international employee satisfaction through a survey that has polled 230,000 full-time and part-time workers in over 142 countries. Overall, they found that only 13% of workers feel engaged by their jobs. That was defined as feeling a sense of passion for their work or deep connection to their employer, and they spend their day being productive and moving their company forward. The, The majority, however signaled that they were not engaged, meaning they were unhappy. Uh, They were basically going through the motions for the paycheck at the end of the month. Uh, When the survey uh, was concluded, the responses were analyzed. They reported that nearly 90% of workers worldwide, now as Gallup put it, quote, are emotionally disconnected from their workplaces and less likely to be productive. Sadly, um, some of those unhappy workers are Christians. Now, interestingly, here in the last chapter, chapter 6 of Paul's first letter to Timothy, Paul is going to speak, inspired by the Holy Spirit, uh, to this very issue as now he addresses the fourth group within the church. And that fourth group he's going to call out and talk to and encourage are Christian employees. Christians who, to quote the Forbes article, 
are emotionally disconnected from their workplaces and less likely to be productive. That's exactly who Timothy and Paul have in mind here. Uh, So what about Christians who are in jobs that they don't like uh, in an employment situation less than ideal? doing jobs for demanding bosses for whom they must slave away. Verse 1. All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Those who have believing masters are not to show less respect for them because their brothers... Instead, they are to serve them even better because those who benefit from their service are believers and dear to them. These are the things you're to teach and urge on them. So let's pause there. Um, First century Roman Empire um, slavery by New Testament times had stunning differences from the slavery of the old American South, uh, which was beyond evil. But more accurately, the slavery that we're talking about, it would be better called indentured servants. Um, uh, They had contracts and they were beginning to be recognized as legal citizens with legal rights. In fact, uh, many of them uh, could be doctors, musicians, uh, teachers, accountants, librarians, and guess what? Other pastors. So uh, very interesting. Half, they said, half the population of the Roman Empire were slaves. Millions upon millions of those slaves were Christians. And there was some um, confusion about how a Christian who was employed as a servant Uh, was to be working. And so now Paul has addressed three groups in the church. This will be the fourth. You'll recall that he addressed people of different ages. Then he went to widows in financial need. Then he talked about the associate pastors who served along the lead or senior pastor of Timothy. And now here in the last chapter, he's winding up. He's got three more groups he's going to call upon and exhort. Number one is, of course, the slaves. And number two, the troublemakers still who are remaining in the congregation who are teaching false doctrine. And thirdly, he's going to get to the rich. But for our purposes this morning, uh, Paul was able to get to the end of his chapter, but not me. We're, We're going to get down to verse 10. So we'll talk about the slaves and then we'll talk again about the false teachers. Um, so, so let's begin now with the slaves. Um, now, he, the spiritual application, of course, uh, is watch your witness as a Christian employee. Now, when we say Christian witness, some people don't even know what you're talking about. It's kind of a Christian term. A Christian witness, it, it means what is your life saying? Talking. It's witnessing. So before you open your mouth about saying what you believe or you believe in Jesus or you're born again, your behavior is telling the story. Your behavior is witnessing. And either you are uh, honoring God and bringing credibility to your profession of faith or you're dishonoring God by your life. 
and discrediting the words of your mouth about the gospel. And so uh, Christianity was brought really to the world through the workplace. The workplace is where everybody spends most of their day. And so this was a very important thing uh, to exhort these Christian employees uh, to live above reproach and to show respect and to be hard-working employees. Now, um, granted, slavery in the first century there had some real differences between modern-day employment, uh, but the spiritual application, boy, the truths just carry over perfectly. In fact, every commentary that I looked at, every single one of them, went straight to the employment of employee, rather, and the employer relationship because what God would expect of, a, of those employed as a slave to their master, he would expect the same exact thing from an employee who's employed by an employer. And so things may have been outwardly different, but spiritually speaking, you have really truths that carry uh, easily over. And so uh, it, it all began with respect. He said, full respect, no matter who that woman or man is, the Christian employee is to give them full respect. Now, what do I do when my boss is not a Christian? Well, first of all, let all who are under the yoke of slavery consider their masters worthy of full respect. So let's talk about that. Now, masters were to be treated with full respect, not because God condoned the institution of slavery, but it says in your text why they were to act that way, so that the gospel would not be discredited and that God himself, that God's name would not be dishonored by your bad behavior in the workplace. So imagine if you had an employee who's lazy, resents working every time you ask him to do something. It's like asking him to to, uh, surf to Hawaii. I don't know where that came from, that thought. Okay, it just seemed like an impossible task. (laughs) Through shark-infested waters. How's that? All right. Uh, you, you know, always complaining, always a bad attitude, never getting the job done, always cutting corners. Don't open your mouth, says that boss. Don't you be telling me about a God who can produce that kind of person and that kind of worth, work ethic. Don't want to hear about your God. I don't want to hear about your philosophies that produce this kind of poor performance in the workplace. And so this is what is kind of up for grabs here, um, really. And, and, And we're called as Christians, not only just employees, but as Christian people, to always guard our Christian witness so that God's name and, and the gospel that people need, they won't be turned off to God and Christianity because of our bad behavior. And, and we just love the whole thing is be patient with me. Um, uh, you know, God's not done with me yet. And we think that's cool because we're a work in progress. But boy, you know, Romans chapter two, Paul speaking to Christians, to Christian Jews. And he says, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? He says, as it's written, God's name is blasphemed. That means insulted. God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles. It just means nations out there. 
So people are talking bad about God because of you and your bad behavior. So it's not just the employees that have to watch their witness. It's anybody who slaps a fish on their bumper. It's anybody who wears a t-shirt. It's anybody who says, oh, yes, I go to The Rock or I go to Redwood Covenant or I go wherever. Once you're outed, oh, man, you got to watch yourself. you got to watch because you're saying this is how Christians act. This is what the Bible teaches. Watch me. Look at my life. Watch the way I work for you. And you'll get a glimpse of who Christ is or wants us to be. That's a heavy responsibility. Amen. Thank you, Caitlin, for the slide. Now, now, for the record, I just have down here, listen, our detractors out there, those who hate the Lord and the gospel, love to say, oh, yeah, the Bible condones slavery which it does not. You, can show, you cannot show me one verse in the Bible that condones or ever says that it is a good or acceptable practice. In fact, 1 Timothy chapter 1 that we looked at and verse 10, he's listing all kinds of lawless practices, evil things. And in that list is enslavers, slave traders. You see... Now, granted, the gospel doesn't come out and name slavery as an institution to uh, overturn. You know why? Because the primary purpose of the gospel is not societal change. To change the culture, it's to save the soul. It's It's to change the heart. And from a changed heart will come free men and free hands that will overturn institutions uh, of oppression in any form that they appear. So the Lord is is like, this is a bad thing per se when it goes bad. Some of the the slaves, the indentured servants, were better off than the free men who were in poverty. So it all depends how bad it was. Even, Even that, Paul says, to the Corinthians, slaves, you're a Christian. If you can get the opportunity to, to get free, get free. That's a good thing. You see? But God was addressing, the gospel taught, and this is how it took slavery apart. The gospel taught the equality of men. That there, God loved and valued the slave as well as the master. In many places you find that as uh, Galatians chapter 3 verse 8. He says, hey, in God's eyes, there's no such thing as a slave or a master. You're both brothers in Christ. So from that truth came the freeing of the heart and the changing of the way people thought about how we relate to one another. And so uh, that's, William Ramsey has a great quote about this. He said, the more fully Christianized the society, the more thoroughly will slavery in all its forms be destroyed. Now, uh, it started with, uh, get your freedom if you can. Paul said, that's a good thing. He said, if not, you're to conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel, and that starts with respect. (laughs) R-E-S-P-E-C-T. That's as far as I'm going to go with that, even though in my office it was another story. (laughs) I got curious, so I, I googled Aretha, <laughs> and wow, that's a that's a sassy song. 
<laughs> All right. So, uh, it, it, you know, it started with respect, but respect wasn't easy, right? And, and why do you think he's, telling, he's exhorting them to do something they're not doing? That's the problem. And why weren't they doing it? The same reason we all do it. We're under the yoke. And the yoke stands for, I'm not free to do what I want today. I've got a contract. I've got to get a paycheck. And I've got to do X, Y, and Z. I can't go lay in the sun. Or I can't go take a walk in the park. I'm under a yoke. I'm, I'm, re- I'm restricted. I'm not happy. I'm not comfortable with it. i got to do it. That's the yoke. And all employees are contractually under a yoke. And so we understand what it means to be, I'd rather be doing something else. Therefore, my attitude shows that in my work. So he says, no, no, no. Everybody under the yoke. Okay, yeah, we know. You'd rather be somewhere else. But you know what? You're representing Jesus. You've got a job to do. Well, I don't like him. Well, maybe he doesn't like you. (laughs) That doesn't enter into the equation. You don't get to determine your Christian character by your outward circumstances or by how people treat you. If we're supposed to love our enemies. Supposed to love our enemies, how much more people who we just don't like. We're still supposed to respect them. Here's what he's saying. In spite of the yoke, every boss deserves a full day's work from every Christian employee. Now, common sense, people. When an employer... Uh, asks us to do something immoral or against God's word. <laughs> you know, we draw the line. But everything else, he is to be shown or she is to be shown uh, total respect. Listen, we had a dream job. We had the dream job. There was no yoke on us. Work is holy. Work is sacred. Uh, work was then the equation before the fall. God made us and he said, I've got a job for you. I'd like you to be a landscaper in this beautiful paradise. Oh, yeah. Work came before the fall. The frustration, the futility, the sweat, the little yield for a lot of work. That came when we decided, look, God, we can do this without you. We had it good. It's not God's fault, and we don't have to take it out on our employer because we're not happy to be there. Amen? Amen. I'm glad a few of you are still with me. <laughs> awesome. Now, this is what God wants to see happen. He wanted two masters to meet at the local tavern and say, Hey, John, how's it going? What's up in those fields of yours? Say, hey, things are going really good. I got this new slave. You know, he's always talking about Jesus, but man, I'll tell you what, the best worker I have, he outworks everybody else. He gives me such respect. I wouldn't treat me with that much respect. <laughs> this guy, just shiny face. He's never, uh, he never complains. I could ask that guy, hey, I want you to run around the field seven times right now. And then when you get done, I want you to hop on one leg. He'd take off and do it with a smile. I don't know what's up with him, but he's... Ah. The other guy says, I know what you mean. I've had a Christian for 16 months. All they want to do is be helpful. They're teachable. They don't talk back. They get along with everybody. And to get along with everybody at my place, <laughs> that's saying a lot. 
these guys, what? What's up with that? Then they go back and one of them sees the, hey, I was just talking about you. You know, you, what, what church did you say you go to that Ephesus, Calvary, the Rock, Ephesus? <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, what about that Bible verse you were quoting to me about God created the world? What, what was that again? And sadly, it works just the opposite. You got a Christian for, working for you? Oh, do I have a Christian? Thinks he's better than everybody else. Comes in whenever he wants. Bad attitude. Lazy. All caps. L A Z Y. <laughs> Lazy. Just staring off in the clouds. Oh, I think I see Jesus. <laughs> I got to be careful because I might be describing me. (laughs) Oh, man. Now, what if, what if you were a slave and you're in the parking lot and you happen to see a fish on the the chariot's bumper? How are you treating, oh, he's a believer. Now, how, how do you treat him? Well, interesting because... Pastors could be slaves and masters were saved and they would come to church where the slave had the spiritual authority over the master. So there were question marks. We worship side by side by brothers, as brothers, I should say. Monday morning, Monday morning, Paul says, you go back to the respect due the employer. He's your employer Monday through Friday. And when he comes to church, you're his pastor. But Monday morning, you will show him the respect due an employer. Now, Phil Riken loved this commentator. He's, I think he's president of Wheaton Seminary. Uh, he writes this, Christians tend to take advantage of believing employers. After all, it's their job to be forgiving and merciful. So they have presumed job security. So they show up late. They abuse break times. They goof off. They're unproductive. They ask for special favors and take liberties that they would never dream of asking a secular employer. Familiarity breeds contempt. In other words, we are the most rude and careless with those closest to us. You know, you hear two brothers and and one brother will say something terribly rude and you're like, whoa, terrible. He's my brother, whatever, right? Or a husband and wife talking to each other. That guy would never in a million years talk to a woman in the lobby of the church like he's talking to his life partner that he took vows before God and everybody at an open Bible swear, I love her, you know, all of that. Yeah, and then you get in the car and you just respect her, but you wouldn't do it to a gal in the lobby of the church. You don't even know. She's the mother of your children. Oh, but it's okay to be rude to her. Well, yeah, same in the church. So he gets to work on Monday morning and hey, bro, what's up? To your, to your employer, what's up? Yeah, I got, hey, I got to get, we got to chop, chop, we got to get that done. Yeah, what's up? We have a Bible study at break? No, no I, uh, no, I got stuff to do, I got stuff to do. 
you show the Christian, and then here's the, here's the reasoning. Why would you work harder for a man who blasphemes your Lord, whose prophets really go to enrich himself, rather than the one who blesses your Lord and whose prophets are used in part to advance the cause of Christ? What's the thinking about there? What's the, why would you pay more respect to a godless man uh, than to a godly one? So, uh, there it is. Obligated to work hard at your job, Christian employee, because of your Christian witness. And number two, you're obligated to work even harder if your boss knows the Lord because of Christian love. Did you catch that? Because he's dear to you. The word there is from agape. There's this God's love is in him. Why wouldn't you use the familiar relationship to do less is just really sad. Now, let me sum this whole section up with Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. He says, let me help you, slaves, employees, whoever's doing a task for somebody you don't appreciate or think is worthwhile, whatever you do. Now, that pretty much covers a lot, (laughs) doesn't it? So think of something that you do, all right? And guess what? You're under contract. (laughs) Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. As working for who? That boss, no. See, pass the boss to the Lord because you're not really actually serving the men since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord. What? Wait a second here. (laughs) He's saying, "I, I consider your job performance something that I'm going to recompense you. I'm going to compensate you for what you did at your employer's place. Yeah, you're going to get what he gives you, but actually you've been serving me. You didn't know that? You've been working for me, and when I see you face to face, we're going to talk about uh, doing uh, working tables at BJ's at Cottingtown Mall. We're going to talk about that. And, and listen, you served me pretty good there, and here's a reward for your work at BJ's. Well, if you put it that way... <laughs> Oh, be a much better waiter, right? If I'm serving the Lord, if I'm seeing past the manager's bad attitude or how they're using me or are not using me or whatever it is, it is the Lord Christ you're serving. You wanna you wanna have a key a a a key to successful Christian living in in every challenge that you have relationally, right there. It's the Lord Christ you're serving. See, pass the wife to Christ and serve her as if it were him. See, pass the husband and see Christ. See him behind him and give the respect due as unto the Lord. We're told to do that, Ephesians 5. This is the key to do anything that you're having a hard time doing because you would do it for him, right? Right? (laughs) 
I know, I know, you're thinking. I know, people come up to me. They come up to me and say, you know, you get really uptight when we don't say anything, but actually, I want to say something, but I'm thinking. All right. (laughs) All right. Well, you can say something and still think, right? All right. Amen. Thank you. Where are you? (laughs) Duncan Donna. Awesome. All right. So, where are we now? All right, let's move on. You want to change the subject? Because Paul does, so we can. (laughs) All right, so we're done with slaves. Hey, watch your witness, okay? Eyes are on you. We need to live above reproach. Now, last paragraph for the morning. Now, he's going to talk about the false teachers and those who are listening to them. He's going to encourage them. He's going to denounce them one more time and encourage people. Here's why you really don't want to listen to them. All right? Verse 3 through 10. If anyone teaches false doctrines and doesn't agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words. And here's the result. Envy, strife, Malicious talk. Malicious just means mean-spirited, right? Evil suspicions. Just cynical. Always looking over your shoulder, never trusting anybody. Verse 5. And constant friction between men of corrupt minds who have been robbed of the truth and who think, for example, that godliness is a means to financial gain. Well, that's still around. Verse 6. But godliness, actually with contentment, is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content. We'll be content with that. People who want to get rich, you know, saying people who are already rich. People who've got this money signs, dollar signs in their eyes. They fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. Now, the most misquoted verse in the Bible, this is the way it should read. For the love of money, not money. Money's the root of all evil. No, sir. Money is neutral, (laughs) like a gun. It could be good or bad, depending on who's holding it and where they're pointing. (laughs) Let's back up. People who want to get rich fall into temptation in a trap, foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, Timothy, eager for money have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Well, there's a lot to think about there. You know, that's a subject that, you know, we all struggle with. We all struggle with it. So let's let the Holy Spirit speak to our hearts. He says, now, for all those in the earshot of any false teachers who are lingering, okay, Paul already ousted the ringleaders. Hymenius, Alexander, Phygelus. He named them, booted them out. There are people who, who like them, who are still lingering around, who didn't get called out, and they're still doing their thing. 
spreading their teaching in the church. And they resent the apostle Paul coming in on his high horse, kicking out their friends, and then putting in 31-year-old Timothy to be lead pastor and, and, uh, and uh, teaching the kinds of things that they don't agree with. All right? So nothing protects a church or Timothy uh, from these false teachings, like exposing the teacher and the teachings uh, for who and what they are. So, so right now, this paragraph, here's what it does. It pulls back the curtain, and it shows the ugly reality. It shows, really, their bad character of the false teachers. It shows their bad theology. And then in the end, to motivate people from following the painful, self-inflicted consequences of following preachers who, for one thing, would say, hey, live right, and God's going to make you rich. Let's talk about that. (laughs) Now, notice he says he goes straight to their character. He says, number one, Timothy, I want you to teach what I've been laying out here, chapter four, chapter five, teach these things. Now, look at your text. Very interesting. If anyone teaches false doctrine, all right, that doesn't agree with the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ, the word there in your text for sound, very interesting. It's a medical term. He's going to use the medical term for healthy and wholesome. And he's going to use, when he talks about the false teachers, he's going to talk a medical term, which means mentally ill or sick. That's what he calls the teachers and what they're teaching. So it's pretty powerful stuff. So the first thing he says is, is look, look at them. Number one, if he doesn't agree with, with the word of God, number one, he's conceited. Now, of course, that makes perfect sense. The word conceited there means to be puffed up with smoke, literally. So to say a guy's blowing smoke or whatever, you're perfectly in the Greek. Right there. Now, why is he conceited? (laughs) Because he thinks he knows better than the word of God. Oh, the apostle Paul says this, but I say this. Jesus Christ said, God created the male and female. And I'm quoting, for this reason that he created the male and female. For this reason the two come together and become one as husband and wife. Jesus says, it is for the reason that they are male and female. But let me tell you what he really meant. How big of your ego, how big of an ego do you have to have to say what is clearly said from the Son of God and then cast aspersions on it to make people doubt it? Well, what did he really mean in Romans chapter 1? Romans chapter 1 about sexuality, about male and female sexuality is so clear. What kind of pride would get a hold of somebody to say, I know what you think it means because it's pretty clear right there, but let me tell you, let's talk about how you can understand it in a different way. Paul says, number one, they're conceited. They're full of themselves. They think they're smarter than the word of God, than Jesus. They think they're they're smarter than you. You're reading it. It says, hey, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Yeah, I I get that. That's pretty easy. Let me tell tell you. Oh, we're all God's children. 
There are many paths. Would a God of love ever make it so exclusive? Well, sir, I just read, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one, no one comes to the Father except, except, except through me. Only way. But, uh, yeah, I know, right? I didn't make that word up. But let me tell you what the Son of God really meant by that. Paul says, number one, they're conceited. Number two, they know nothing. Whoa, Paul, seriously. Uh, If you don't have the foundation of the gospel, you throw out the pillars you have nothing. You can't understand. He says they understand nothing. No, they understand. They have no understanding of anything. Why? Well, it sounds like they know some stuff. No, when you throw out the foundation, the authority of the word of God, you don't have anything. There's no understanding. So he says they talk like they understand everything. They sound really learned, but they actually don't have a clue. Then he says, notice the fruit of their teaching because Paul calls their teaching nonsense. Myths. They're just babbling. They just like to talk about controversial things and whatever. He says, but notice the fruit of that. He says, envy, jealousy, arguing, division, relational conflicts. I love this. Any church where there's poor teaching, weak teaching, not the word of God out there, you can expect a weak Christian and a weak church because the word of God properly taught and preached will give the power to live a Christian life. It'll inspire you to goodness and holiness. When you want to gossip because you've been under the word and listening to being in the presence of a sound and healthy doctrine, you're going to shut up. You're going to stop. Sorry, kids, if you're not, you know, kids aren't supposed to say shut up, right? (laughs) Sorry. No. You're going to be quiet. Why? Because the power is present with the word of God to change your mind and change your heart and wash away your sins and and you leave uh, uplifted and with a more resolve to come together and drop your differences and be forgiving and restore relationships. But he says, when they get done with the pulpit, Oh, you've got people talking smack about people. You've got people jealous. You've got all kinds of problems. Because why? It sounded spiritual. There's a verse. No, not that one. Sorry. Second Timothy 3. Sorry, that was in line. I skipped over that. Having a form of godliness, so talking about end times, false teaching. It has a form of godliness. means it has a feel a spiritual feel about it. it. Sounds really good, you know, but it denies its power. In other words, there's no substance to it. It's just words and it doesn't do anything. So your sinful nature, when you're under nonsense, is not put in check. There's no inspiration to holiness. You, you leave worse than when you came in or just as messed up. No offense. <laughs> as we all are. As we all are. You need to hit me between the eyeballs with some word of God. 
Not with some ideas or thoughts or Christian book ideas or anything. I need the word of God to come in and change me and challenge me and transform me. Amen? Amen. Well, he called them sick in verse 4. He says, uh, these guys, they have an unhealthy interest in debate and controversies. In fact, in the Greek, it says word fighting, word fights. So what they want to do is any controversy, they go to that and speculate for hours about that. Instead of preaching the gospel and teaching sound doctrine, the medical word is mentally ill or sick. A sick interest in debating. Now, here's why they do it. If I can say, what does that word really mean? And let's dialogue in circles about it. Guess what? I don't have to submit to it. I don't have to obey it. Because it's up for interpretation. Is that what it really means? Let's speculate, speculate, dialogue, dialogue, speculate. That's what your text is saying. They have an unhealthy, uh, uh, morbid, in the Greek, morbid interest in anything that's over here. So that they don't have to bow the knee themselves and they can live the kind of life that's more comfortable that they invent in their own, I'm sorry, text, corrupt minds. Timothy, be careful. And one of the things they do, and here's the big example of how corrupt they are, they think that good morals will make you rich, and that's what they teach. He says that they think Christian ministry is a way to wealth. Sound familiar? (laughs) 2,000 years and they're still doing it. What do they do when they get to this passage? Well, the answer to that is they never get to this passage, (laughs) right? Because they don't usually get to any of the passages except the, the passages where that they can twist and show you their point of view so that they can get rich. It's unbelievable. And it's happening even before our eyes. Titus chapter 1, verse 11, Jude, verse 11. It wasn't an isolated problem, these uh, prosperity preachers. Uh, it was a problem. 2,000 years later, it still is. So, now it's not, the problem isn't the money. Because Paul just said, a good God-called called, uh, qualified pastor should be compensated. All right? He says this, and one writer put it this way. These guys who think that the ministry is all about making money or a Christian life is all about making money uh, are not men of God at all. They've had the gospel stolen from them. Your verse says robbed of the truth. They left the door open and in came the thief. John 10.10, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. They left the door unguarded. In came the thief and robbed them of, your text, the truth. And now they say, hey man, you live right, you get rich. God's in the business of blessing you that way. Well, what's driving these guys is a love for money, and they've come up with a way to use the Bible and ministry to make themselves rich. Now, nobody knows how they were doing it, but, you know, if they taught, they demanded a stipend. Uh, uh, There was merchandising, There were uh, charms and things and relics. Uh, There was a way to make money even back then with their holy water or whatever it was. And I'm just thinking off the top of my head. Uh, But uh, 
That, you know what? That's why Paul said, I would, 1 Corinthians 9, I would rather die than accept a penny from you lest you link me with them. Paul said, I have the right to be compensated. God ordained that those who preach the gospel make their living by the gospel. I just That's a quote from 1 Corinthians 9. But he said, I'd rather be dead. That's why I make tents so that nobody will ever point their finger at me and say, he's trying to get rich. That's why Paul said that. He encouraged others to be paid, but for the apostle himself, he said, no, thank you. I want to cut the ground from beneath my detractors. And that's the kind of man he was. So he starts out by saying, and I love his argument now, against that kind of thinking. He starts out by saying, actually, godliness does pay off. Actually, there is a paycheck. It's like winning the jackpot, man. He says, think about it, a clean conscience. Because when you're right with God through faith, you got a clean conscience. Wow. The guilt you're relieved of. Can you imagine a way to just be free of guilt? A heart set free. Rest for your soul. Oh, godliness gets you a peace that passes understanding. A worry-free life. No anxiety about anything. Forgiveness for all your sins, past, present, and future. Godliness gets you the friend who sticks closer than a brother. Wisdom from heaven. Godliness will score you healing of a broken heart. And how about eternal life? How about godliness bringing in the reward? Here's your paycheck. A get out of hell free pass. (laughs) Paul says, oh yeah. If you got contentment in your heart, you're the real deal. And you're happy just to have the Lord. Contentment there in the Greek means to be satisfied with what one has. He says, let me tell you, (laughs) there's a cha-ching. There's a cha-ching for those who are living right. But you can't deposit it in the bank necessarily. I mean, God blesses. Now, let me just say this. There's a big difference between ambition and hard work and God's blessing to increase in wealth. There's no problem with that. What he's talking about is getting rich as your sole desire, driven, unbridled, unmitigated greed for the sake of self-indulgence or influence or power or whatever it is. It's the cartoon guy with the dollar signs in his eyes. That's who's he's... uh, What? (laughs) (laughs) That's who he's talking about there. So Paul says, listen... Contentment. Contentment will make all the difference. I love this verse in Ecclesiastes. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. That's so smart. Just love God, be content. Be content to have God. You're going to heaven. He's going to make the argument even further. Uh, John... Rockefeller, 
was asked, he said, hey man, you're, somebody said, your, your fortune is ever increasing. When is it going to be enough? And he said, just a little more. That's the answer to how much is enough? Just a little more. That's what discontentment is about. Well, you've heard the story about the guy, uh, the rich man at, his, at the funeral. People were whispering, how much did he leave? How much did he leave? And somebody finally asked, hey, how much did the guy actually leave? And then they said, all of it. <laughs> Every last penny. So Paul is going to say, hey, you've got to be content. Number one, he says, uh, because you came in penniless, you go out penniless. Now, Brother Job learned that. Whether he already knew it, we don't know, but he certainly came to understand it in a concrete way when he lost everything. He said, you know, I came in naked. I'm going out naked, right? Blessed be the name of the Lord. So the argument here, his first argument is, you can't take it with you. When you stand before God, it's going to have no bearing. So what are you spending so much of your time and energy on something that has very little bearing because you can't bring it with you? How you handled it has bearing, but it itself, you won't see that. So the verses aren't advocating poverty or wealth, just purposeful living, right? So now he says, number two, let me tell you what I meant by when I said contentment. All right? And this is a hard one to swallow. Get ready, contemporary Westerners. All right? He said, he says, contentment is that you're okay with clothes. The word also means shelter, covering. Clothes, shelter, and food. Done. It doesn't mean that you can't have more than that or that you shouldn't even want really, a little bit more than that. That's not the point. The point is once you get clothes, food, and a roof over your head, that with Christ should be enough. You should be able to say, hey, like Paul, Philippians 4, he said, let me tell you, let me tell you, I I learned something. Let me tell you about the secret I learned to contentment. He said, because I learned something. He said, when I have little, when I have a lot, I'm content. Why? Here's the secret, because I've got Jesus. And he makes me able for when? For all situations. He says, I learned the secret. I've got Christ. What, what he's saying is, when I have a little, and I have Jesus, I always get by. And when I have more than enough, the Lord, I have Jesus, and he shows me why I have more than enough. And I'm able to be generous and, and wise and a good steward. So you know what? I got God. I'm good. All right? That's contentment. That's contentment. Uh, here's a little poem about being discontent. Because we live in a world that's just telling you you've got to go out and buy more, more, more. Bigger, newer, better. Come on. You'll feel bad if you don't. You'll feel better if you do. It was spring. But it was summer I wanted, the warm days and the great outdoors. It was summer, but it was fall I really wanted, the colorful leaves, Halloween, the cool, dry air. Now, it was fall, 
But it was winter I wanted. The beautiful snow and the joy of Christmas. It was winter, but it was spring I really wanted. The warmth and the the flowers and the blossoming of nature. I was a child, but it was adulthood I wanted. The freedom to drive a car. The respect. I was 20, but it was 30 I wanted. Be mature in a career, a family. I was middle aged, but it was 20 I wanted. (laughs) I personally don't want 20. I would not want to be 20 again. How many of you would agree if you're older than 20? All right. How many would say, well, maybe 30? Oh, I'm not done yet with the poem. (laughs) I was middle-aged, but it was 20 I wanted, the youth and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was middle age I wanted, the presence of mind without limitations. My life was over, but I never got what I wanted. Now, just stop and think. Are you waiting for that next thing, you know? Once I get married or once the kid arrives or when I get a better job or when, you know, then, then when, when I pay off the car, pay off the house or when I finally buy the house, that's the lie. That's the burglar that comes in and takes away your contentment and your joy. And says, hey, you can't be happy right now until this. And then when you get there and the promise is there, when you get that then, I promise you, you'll be good. You'll be feeling good with him. You'll get, you can show people as you'll be so happy. And then you get there and the lie comes again. It actually wasn't one baby. It was two. Well, you could do it like Emily and do two at one. <laughs> Shout out, Emily. Two. <laughs> To you and your twins in there. That's awesome. Okay, I think you get the point. Amen? All right, I like this. Proverbs 30. Caitlin, did I get that one to you? Give me... Oh, this is a hard one. (laughs) Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. What? (laughs) Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, "Uh, Jesus who? (laughs) Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and dishonor the name of my God. Lord, I just want to get by. I just want to have enough to, you know, to live. Where's the prayer of Jabez? Right? You're supposed to be praying all these riches and all of this stuff. What did our Lord teach us to pray? Give us this day, just this day, what we need today. That's what Jesus thinks is important. So he says, these guys are crazy. They're anti-biblical. Thank you for that. Don't follow them. Have contentment. Last little thing about this. uh, Michael and Gabriel, the angels, were heard talking. And I've got the conversation right here. <laughs> I didn't hear it personally, but I passed it along. Uh, I said, Michael says to Gabriel, these silly humans, so worked up about gold. And 
Michael says back or Gabriel, whoever started the conversation. Who started it? Okay, Michael says, let me back up. Michael says to Gabriel, right? These silly humans, they're so worked up about gold. And Gabriel says, yeah, wait till they get to heaven and see what we use it for. <laughs> paving, paving the streets. Some of you could read Revelation. It wouldn't hurt you. <laughs> All worked up about that. Okay, let's finish up. Here's the slide that has the last two verses that are just smack, smack you upside the top of your soul. Now, people who want to get rich... The cha-ching signs. Not the healthy ambition who want to get ahead and save some money for their kids and pay the college costs. God knows that's all normal. We're supposed to have savings. We're supposed to have investments. It's in the Proverbs. He's talking about money-hungry, greedy pigs. Oh, people who want to get rich fall into temptation. So that's, they're, they're, being, they're opening the door to lots of temptation. And a trap, it's often used in, con, in conjunction with the evil one. A trap into many foolish, the word means senseless, doesn't make sense, and harmful desires that plunge, the word plunge there means to drown, to drag to the bottom, uh, to sink a vessel, to drag it all the way down to be destroyed. That plunge men into ruin and destruction. So it's not people who are rich, people who are lusting, who are greedy, who are desiring. I gotta get money at the expense of God, morals, laws, mom and dad. Relationships, lying, stealing, cheating. This is who we're talking about. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, meaning this. If you offered a guy a million dollars, is there anything he wouldn't do? How about 10 million? So if you love money and you're offered, you have a chance to get a million bucks, The door is wide open to all the kinds of evil that can come of that. Prostitution, child prostitution, that's all about money. Drug smuggling, hooking little kids on drugs, money, embezzlement, scamming older senior citizens out of their life savings. Who cares? Who cares? All kinds of evil come when all you think about is money, money, money. So he says, Timothy, listen to me. Some people eager for money, the word eager there means determined, set course. This is what I'm doing. I'm all about, I'm focused, I'm going to get the money. Eager for the money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. It's, it's a self-inflicted wound. And then the two words for destruction are terrible. They've wandered from the faith, pierced themselves with many griefs, uh, griefs. Ruin and destruction, 
destruction means eternal misery. So in other words, he's saying some have actually perished because of their love for money. So if you went to hell and took a poll, all right? So you take a poll in hell and you're only there for a couple seconds to take the poll, right? So you ask the throngs, we know that you're here because you rejected Christ, because nobody's there because of a sin. However, was money involved in the kind of sinning that you did that kept you from receiving Christ as your Lord? Hands go up. Uh, the whole place, right? You're going to see half of hell will raise their hands because they chose money rather than a relationship with God. So it's pretty serious stuff, this contentment. and You know, it's a fine line, too. Everybody, when I said, hey, there's a difference between ambition, healthy ambition, and saving and investing and wanting to do good, you know, there's a healthy line between that and greed and materialism and needing more and more and more. There's a healthy line. And don't blur it. Do not blur it. Examine your own heart with the help of the Holy Spirit with a cold eye, with a cold eye, which means not a biased judgment because it's yourself. Take some time and say, you know, I've got to be careful here because it's nice to have money. And if I'm not careful, I'm going, I can wander. Some have wandered. And people know about these scams we get sucked into and all kinds of things. So you have to be careful for that. So, in conclusion, two things to take away. One, Christians, uh, Christian employees, watch your witness, show your employer's respect, and work with excellence. And if you're serving believers, even better, more excellence. And Christians, watch your heart. Guard it from all kinds of greed and stay away from crazy false teachers teaching teachings that contradict the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray together. Now, Heavenly Father, just some really straight up uh, words to touch our souls and <laughs> deliver the power to transform us. Thank you. We want to be convicted. Lord, we're prone to wander. Lord, we feel it, prone to leave the God we love. And our heart is desperately wicked and beyond cure, except when it's regenerated. So we know, God, what lurks within us, and we want you to be Lord. We want your spirit to keep us in check and to fill us with goodness and generosity and the right perspective to live well-balanced healthy lives as we submit to the good sound doctrine of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.